right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Aaron. I'm Clayton. And I'm your roommate's novel veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hey. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. So we just got a run-of-the-mill type of book today mm-hmm. to talk about. Nothing no, nothing unique. Yeah, standard fare. I don't no sparking of conversations or anyone being a bit nervous about us reading this book. It was really yeah. I mean, hopefully it's not too boring of an episode for you guys. So you were saying before we started the show, you were mm-hmm. saying that this this book that we're reviewing today got a lot of people talking, at least on our Facebook troop, on the Instagram. I'm sure the Twitter, I don't have access. No, on Twitter, not really. I, nobody really interacts with us on Twitter. We're really, uh, yeah, our dance card is empty over on Twitter. But uh, in the Facebook troop, we got a ton of people talking as well as over on Instagram. It's funny because, you know, normally I'll post, if I can remember, I'll post like, this is the next book, guys. Like, what do you think? And, you know, I'll get like a few likes, like maybe a few people will be like, oh, I like this author or whatever. But, you know, pretty what I expect. This book like sparked a conversation (laughs) of some people just straight up saying, I'll never read this book. What is happening in this book? Um, I don't know. I'm afraid of this book. And then I was afraid of this book, but then I got the book and then I read the book and now I'm going to read every book in the series. <laughs> like it's, it was really funny. It really sparked a lot of conversation. And obviously we read uh, Morning Glory Milking Farm, uh, Camberk Creek, Sweet and Steamy Monster Romance Number 1 by C.M. Nascosta. Yeah. So what were your thoughts pre-reading the book? Well, you know me. I like to not go into anything with a... Well, I mean, that's not true. I don't like to go into the books we read with a preconceived notion. Everything mm-hmm. else I'm already judging, right? Right at the very moment that it crosses the path of sight for me. So 100%, one of the good things about judgmental. this... Yeah, one of these good the good things about this podcast is that I'm able to put aside those sort of things when a book is put in front of me, at least a romance novel. And I did see a few things when we posted this, that we were going to read this, that it was sweeter than they thought it was going to be, that it was better than they thought it was going to be. Because some of some, a lot of books like this can be just the gimmick. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping that that wasn't the case. I was going in with an open mind. I wanted to, as all books that we read, I want to love them. I want to find a new book that changes my perspective or opens my mind to something or is weird, but I can or we can beat the drum that it's good. Like you should read this and not be scared. So that mm-hmm. that was my hope going into it. What about what about you? Because you picked this. You found this on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And when you when you said, let's do this, I thought, okay, because we were going to initially do a new species. And not that we're not going to do a new species soon. Hopefully we will. But we were going to do a new species. And this is kind of new species adjacent-esque. Not after reading it, but just the concept of having humans and non-humans together. Mm-hmm. So when you first picked this, did you think this was going to be a 
I don't want to say a goof because we never pick books as a goof, but what what were your thoughts? Yeah, so I think I had like seen the book around because the cover, which obviously we're going to talk about, is like a pretty memorable cover. Like once you see it, you remember it. And I think I had seen it on a few other TikTokers list or just maybe on Instagram or something. And then, like I said last week, sort of when uh, at Virgo Reader, who is somebody that like generally I really agree with all of her assessments of of books. And she normally does a lot of just like historical stuff and some contemporary. So she doesn't do too many or as far as I've seen, actually, the algorithm, who knows what she's doing. But I... um, But then she talked about this book and I was like, listen, I'm like, if this person who my tastes sort of really align with also likes this book, it might be worth it to do. Because I think we had had a discussion, too, about how we both just love historical so much. (laughs) That's pretty much what we want to do. And we really want to sort of spend a lot of time, more time sort of around the books that like kind of we know we're going to love. And um so I was like, well, if this historical loving reader loves this book, then maybe there's something to it. Um, normally what happens when I hear about a book is I imagine the entire plot in my mind and never am I right. But I think it just seemed like something that would be really interesting and really fun. And also you have a long um, and illustrious reputation for being a big Minotaur fan. And I had never before heard of a book with a Minotaur as a the hero. So it also seemed like this might be too good to pass up. Like this is kind of written for us. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that that the Minotaur factor was huge for me too because I am a fan of the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. And so... And plus the the idea, this book just came out. This book came out August 1st. I know. So it's blown up really fast. And it, we just, it felt like if we're not, if we're going to do this book, we should do it now. All right. Well, so we need to judge this cover. Clayton, what do you think? Okay. Here's the thing about this cover. I feel like how most people, you know, the saying, don't judge a book by its cover. A lot of people are judging this book by its cover. But I feel like this is the kind of cover this book needed in order to Mm -hmm. get traction. Because if you call this book Morning Glory Milking Farm, and then you don't have signifiers of what that means, you're going to lose out on the people who are going to read this book because of the oh my god factor Mm -hmm. and yes a lot of people have said that the image of the frothing milk bottle is disgusting and i can agree with that it is a little off-putting but here's the thing being the, I can't even be a virgin anymore because after reading this book, it made me realize how little of a virgin, I, how little of my virginity is left. <laughs> because I'll be honest with you, the cover really didn't stumble me at all. Because I'm not disgusted by it. I I'm fine with it. It's what the book is about, so I like that it is indicative. It has the woman putting on the 
the latex glove, the frothing milk, and then behind it, the shadow of a minotaur. It's exactly what the book is. So Mm -hmm. I like that. Now, aesthetically, is it a good-looking book? Not really, but the thing is, is that it's an independent writer. I think the cover is doing what it needs to do. And hopefully, this is my hope for this author, if this is what they want, obviously I don't want to force anything that they don't want. When this book is released, maybe re-released by another, like a publisher, there might be an ability to do a cover that is maybe a painted cover, something. You know, something that is, uh, looks less independent. Mm-hmm. That would be my hope. But I do think as a cover, it does what it needs to do, which is very important for a romance cover. What is your thoughts? That is such an interesting take. I think that is true because I don't like the cover. But you're right where it's like it's called Morning Glory Milking Farm, which I don't know if that is like the the best title, but I guess what other title would you do? And there's already a very famous book called Morning Glory by Lavriel Spencer, which is a great book and everyone should read that too. Very different. But you're right in that this, you look at this and you're not thinking you're getting like a pastoral slice of life book. Like you get there's something else going on here. And I think you're right. That is so important for an independent book. And I agree. Now, Like you, I hope this book gets re-released. And if it does, what I wouldn't give for a painted like 1980s, 90s style clinch cover with a minotaur. And then if we could have like Violet dressed as like an old timey milkmaid, like holding a tin bucket and then like mid embrace, like I would, (laughs) I would have that on my wall. I would love that so hard. And then you've got to have the black bar over her milking him. Oh, no, she's not milking. He's just, like, holding her. Okay. Tenders the storm or something. I think it'd be cool to add a little spice to that. You know know what they do? No, we have your cover and then the step back. Oh, yes. Is like a full-on milking. Mm -hmm. Painted milking. Yes. Anyway, so that's the cover. Guys, it tells a story. It's, it, it does what it needs to do, for sure. Um, but yeah, Clayton, what was this book about? So this book was about Violet, who is barely holding on in the city. She can't pay her rent. She's got credit card bills. She's She's got uh, student loans, everything. And so she has graduated from college and she went to grad school and the the job market's just not there. So she can't really find anything that's going to keep a roof over her head. Her mom is calling her and saying, you should move back in with us. We'll put you over the garage. And, she, and Violet's thinking, I can't do that. I can't do that. So she finds an ad for Morning Glory Milking Farm. And once she realizes what she needs to do, She's a little taken aback, but she realizes it's not forever. I can just do this to get myself above water. So she starts milking minotaurs, and that's where she meets Rourke. 
And Rourke is uh, originally a clock watcher. There's names for the different kinds of ones that come in. And the clock watchers are business guys who are just, I'm on my break. I need to get jerked off fast. Let's get it and quit it. And she gets really excited, really sexually excited by milking him. She doesn't have that reaction to anybody else, just him. And then he starts requesting her. They start talking. And, of course... They fall in love. <laughs> so that's what this book is about. You know, standard stuff. And here's the thing about this book. It's like, yes, that that is that's everything that happens in the book. But like this book didn't have to like go quite so hard on the social commentary. And it didn't need to ha- like it has layers and it is such a readable or actually I don't know how you feel about it to me it is such a readable enjoyable book because uh the author has such a deft understanding of the world and the characters and the ability to layer things on top of that and make everything a little bit more complex a little bit more interesting and all feel very real like she does have like a Ruby Dixon-esque um ability to world build without you being like okay and now we're world building that I really really appreciated but yeah Clayton what did you think of this book I love this book and you mm-hmm. nailed something that I loved about this book is that the world building was so done so well and so I don't want to say quickly because it's she threads things within you know we we find new things out but it's just done so succinctly and effectively. There's not 40 pages at the beginning of this book setting up that there are more than just humans in this world. We're thrown into it, and we are able to understand immediately, oh, okay, when she goes to the farm for the first time, there's non-humans. And also the fact that she's getting a job milking minotaurs is also just shows that there's not... Uh, just humans in this world. Mm -hmm. But the way these minotaurs are not treated as just creatures, they're people with jobs and uh, things that they do and what the ring in their nose signifies, just the way she throws things, uh, the the author throws things uh, around like that is done so well and never... You never feel like, okay, we're stepping out of this to talk about the world. We're always talking about the characters. And it's through Violet's eyes of noticing how the other creatures live and how the other creatures are treated. Like, there's a point in the book where she's talking about a a grocery store or a bodega that has all the goblin food down at the bottom shelf. And she notices this, that this this goblin mom with a goblin kid has to get down on her knees to fill her basket. And it's not done in a heavy handed way. It's done in a way of somebody, Oh, noticing these things. Like when I first moved to the city, you notice these things. I'm from a small town. I I mean, I went to college, so I did get, I did get exposed to certain other kinds of lifestyles, but living in the city is totally different than going to college. And, you know, you evolve to see these sort of things, and we're seeing that happen to Violet, which I thought was really great. And it's not, but it's not the main crux of the story. It's just her experience. And Violet 
as somebody who wants to survive on her own. Her mom wants her to move back. And I love, it's these kind of things that make this book great. The mom is not an asshole. The mom's not saying, you're gonna fail, blah, blah, blah. She's not a bad parent. She is a loving parent who thinks she's doing something good for Violet by offering her this gilded cage of coming back. We'll put an apartment over the garage. You'll you'll date your the guy you dated in middle school or whatever. These kind of ideas of I'm going to keep my kids safe by never exposing them to any sort of danger is how some parents show their love and it's misguided but it's still love and I love that because that's really how a lot of people's parents are it's never like you need to come home because you're a piece of shit it's I love you so much and I don't want you to suffer and I you know I know how hard it was to struggle and I don't want that for you and it's but that's bad that's not good but it's an inclination that parents have and just that right there made me think this author was I was in good hands with this author Yes. So I'm sorry. I'm like totally monopolizing the conversation. But no, I mean, also, this is the podcast is each of us basically um, just monologuing each other, whatever it's a book we like. It's just like and this other thing that was amazing. But I do think, yeah, sort of what you touched on with Violet that I felt so that was so interesting. It's like it's a very common struggle, at least for I think like um, our generation and sort of when we graduated college. And I remember for the field I wanted to get into people being like, you have to go to grad school and me being like, I am a waitress right now. Like I can't, I'm barely surviving as is like the idea of also having to go to a grad school is, it seems impossible. Um, and, and those sort of things. And, and what I found really interesting too, was sort of like the commodification of, the Minotaur is, you know, as it seems like, you know, they exist within this society and like just like have jobs and families and they talk about like their kids going to college and um, going on vacations and things and how that plays into it. Just sort of like it is a little bit of a book about like uh, late stage capitalism in that way where it's like in order to survive in this society, you need to give up of your self in a like a physical and very literal way and I found that to be really interesting sort of living in the society that we're living in today um uh yeah and for Violet where it's like she did everything right and she ended up in a place where like she could not afford where she was living she couldn't she could basically not afford to live and then uh yeah she ends up like finding this town uh, and getting this job that I don't think she ever would have thought that she would have ended up with, but was very good paying. And so she kind of just went for it. And and I totally related to her finally getting some sort of money and watching it accrue and being mm-hmm. so excited that you're checking your bank account and seeing that you actually have something in there. There is an excitement mm-hmm. to that. And it, you know, it is gross to measure everything with money but there is a level of when you if you want independence and you want to be able to live on your own and do the things you want to do you do need money so her phone bill was laid and her she's living off credit cards to see some sort of movement forward with that i was along that journey with her and 
I also really enjoyed when she was getting ready to do the job, how nervous she was and how she wanted to do such a great job. I relate to that so much. When Mm -hmm. I get a new gig, I am so nervous. I'm so incredibly nervous about if there's anything involved in it that I don't know and I want to be the best at it and I want to be really good at it. And I that really resonated with me because there's a there's machines involved with what she has to do. And she was very nervous about it. She wanted to make sure that she could do it correctly. And there was a moment where she's been on the job for a little bit and, and something goes a little bit wrong. And I've been in that situation where you just are so frustrated and you want to seem like you have everything under control. And when that doesn't happen, it, it, it's it's frustrating. And it's these real life these 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 real life situations and how Violet's personality was drawn that makes you really get involved in this book. Yeah, exactly. That's what I found so interesting too, because I feel like you know, as somebody who struggled financially for a long time and then now is in a more comfortable financially place, like this author really nailed that transition in a way that I don't know that I've ever seen represented in media before, where it seems like most of the time you see either somebody's just always poor or somebody was rich and then all of a sudden they're poor. But that sort of idea of like, oh, I have been depriving myself so long of these little things because I can't afford it or because I feel guilty that I can't afford other things. And so I will deny myself this other small pleasure. Um, And the whole thing with her and the coffee and slowly getting to the point where she could buy the coffee that she wants. And she ultimately really loves this like very fancy latte. And it's such a small thing. And it is nice that like Rourke is the one that tells her about this place that has like this coffee that she ultimately loves. And ultimately the place becomes kind of central to the story. But that was so interesting too of like, first I have money. And when you first get money, you kind of hoard it. And then you're like, okay, well, and you have to change your relationship to it as your life changes because of the money that you have. It was all fascinating. But also, I know that we're talking a lot about this, guys. This wasn't what the book was necessarily about. This is all threaded in there really easily. But it's just those little things that you see reflected back that you really notice when you just haven't seen it done or just haven't seen it done well before. We do get to know Violet a little bit. There, We get a lot of her thought process, which is great. And I did, you know, she she was neurotic without being annoying about it. It, it. There was there was never this. I'm so socially anxious, which is the crutch and the go to for every protagonist. It seems to be lately. She was realistically nervous and scared about how her life was going. Like there was a justifiable reason why she would feel the way she would, and also her awkwardness in talking to the minotaurs that she's jerking off at the beginning was very, very genuine. But then she does become more of a old hat at it. She knows the the what are they called the the good old good old cows good little cows little good old, good little cows the ones who get off on being jerked off. 
she's able to kind of just shrug and be like, this is what they want. This is what I'll give them. They tip me. This is great. I do like that there's a tipping system here. Yes. Because it's like all mechanical and above board, but then it's also like, yeah, you're giving someone a happy ending and they're tipping you, Uh, which is great, though. It makes sense. It it absolutely Mm -hmm. makes sense that they're doing that. But the reason, and I don't know if we ever mentioned this, the reason that they're jerking off these minotaurs is because human dick pills in this world are derived from minotaur semen. And that's why they're so, they need every drop of it. And the people who are, get, who are getting paid for the, for the, the semen, which is the, the people who are coming in, they want to make sure that you're good at the job and getting every last drop because it's weighted. So if you waste some on the floor as the technician, that means the person who's getting jerked off doesn't get paid as much as they were going to. And so that's like a so there's a, such a few levels to this where it's yes, they they want to tip you because you got every drop so they get the most money but also they some of them want to be sexually pleased so they'll tip you because they got sexually pleased correctly there's a lot going on here yeah well what's interesting too is like you find out that they're not allowed they're allowed to request a technician but they'll never know the technician's like schedule so then they will only get yeah they'll only get that technician if they happen to be working that day but otherwise they don't um, and that was what was so interesting. And I really also liked that there was this designation around, like, is this sex work or not? And ultimately, it's not. And now, not that there is anything inherently wrong with sex work, but it is, I think, an interesting conversation because, like, you know, they are literally jerking these guys off, these minotaurs. And that is the <laughs> the that's the job. So there's a sexual component to it for sure. Um but it was funny because as I was reading the book, I was like, oh, like Rourke is going to make her stop working because like they met and started flirting while obviously he she was coming in and she was servicing him and he kept requesting her and they had like cute, really flirty banter. Um, And what I found really interesting was like Rourke, even though he kind of like fell in love with Violet through meeting in this way, th- he seemed to understand that this was not sexual for her sort of with any other of the minotaurs. And so she was like, he was like, yeah, this is like kind of your job. It's fine that you keep doing your job. There isn't anything like there's no cheating component. And I was like, Oh, that is really interesting. Cause I'm pretty sure we end the book and she's still working there part time. She does. Cause it's good enough money that she's got another job, which is great. But yeah, she, the the money's too good. She likes the people. She enjoys the work. So why why give up that side hustle? I, I think the thing that's interesting about this is that it, her excitement about the the milking was her sexual excitement about the the milking was only for Rourke. That's the only. So it's a it's a outlier. It's it's not. It's not that she enjoys jerking off minotaurs and this guy happened to have the best personality. She looked at it as a job, looked at it as as a milking, but it, it had a sexual component with this specific guy. And he, like you said, fell in love with her. 
And having conversations about her life got him hard. Mm -hmm. Which I think is the ultimate female fantasy. Not to speak for women, but I would assume that that's a a huge fantasy for women. Is that they'll come home and talk about their day and that's enough to get the guy excited. Uh, I think that's an oversimplification. I don't think that's true. I think it's like... But I think, you know, but you want about- you want your partner to be interested in what you did that day. Right. Well, I think it goes to like the bigger thing of like, what do we want in a romance hero? And ultimately, what we want in a romance hero is for him to or for them to like, see the heroine for them to um, not to get gendered, but but for them to see each other in a way. And I think Rourke's kind of the way that he acts around her, the way that he's very careful with her, the way that he doesn't want to cross any lines. And, you know, once they start dating and seeing each other outside of work, he doesn't go in to get milked anymore because he doesn't want to, like, cross any lines or make her feel obligated. Um And I think that's the part that we really would respond to is that level of sort of like being seen and our needs being anticipated. Well, so that's, yeah, that's an oversimplification, obviously, that I said, but in the sense that replace his erection with with interest, it's, it's, it's symbolizing that he is looking at her as more than just a physical object, right? So that stimulation, he's being stimulated by her as a person. Yes. That's right. that's what I was more aiming for by saying that. Not that a woman just wants to talk about, you know, what latte she bought and the guy's got a hard dick and they fuck. It's just like the idea that he's being stimulated by her and not just her physicality, I think is part of the thing that that woman would be attracted to. Does that make more sense? Right. Her whole personhood. Yes, I think so. That's, yeah, that makes sense. Good. Save myself. (laughs) I, yeah, I, this, and so this book is like a very slow burn. And the thing that's interesting about this book, as I was reading it, is like, there's so many things about this book that I shouldn't like. But like we always say, it's like even tropes or things that you don't normally like when in the hands of a, of a skilled author you don't even notice or you do end up enjoying because this is a very slow burn. And as far as their relationship goes, something that we've, I know, no pun intended, but like we've read books before for is like too much time spent away from the main couple, da, 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 da. And like, this is a very slow burn romance and them as a couple don't have to overcome much other than obviously he's a minotaur and she's a human. And so there's like consideration put into that, but like cross like interspecies dating doesn't seem to be like, it seems to be fairly rare, but not like unheard of in this Mm -hmm. world. Um, But they basically like meet are, are very kind to each other the whole time. Fuck at the end. It's great. And then, and then that's kind of it. And then he kind of helps her get a job and they are like probably going to move in together and everything's good. We don't have that like end of the book, like, no, I can't do this or pulling away or breakup or anything. It's like pretty smooth sailing for them, but it is still v- so readable. Yeah, um, I love that. So I love that they, they did not feel the need to slide some weird thing in there where, oh, now we can't be together. I, right. I I thought that was refreshing because it's it's so often the trope that 
we have to overcome this thing and everybody knows it's going to work out. And sometimes it's done well and most times it's just, okay, let's just get through this part so we can get to the HEA. Yeah. And And I think, yeah, I'm not as upset about like the third act breakup. I do think it like performs a really integral role in the story for the most part. Obviously, if it's done poorly, it's it feels like a little bit like wrenched in there. But like, I understand the need for it. And I'm not mad about it. And I just thought it was interesting that in this book, there wasn't and I didn't feel it missing. I just noticed it was gone, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there could have been something with his neighbor. That confusion could have happened later. And then that be the issue, and then it get resolved. But I, I, like I said, I, I think maybe the author did not see an organic way to throw a wrench and didn't do it, which I totally appreciate. If that was the case, I appreciate that, because don't just do it to do it. Okay, so what did you think about the actual milking scenes? They were Because there's so- a lot of them. So many milky, like she's just at work a lot. I mean, at, at the end of the day, this is a workplace romance. I like it's interesting. Like, I, I, and it's funny because it seemed like the author knew. Okay, here's what the people are gonna have questions about, and this these are things I need to spend time on because if I don't, that's what they're gonna be thinking the whole time. And like the mechanics of it, I thought were really interesting, and I felt like it. I really understood how it worked, but they're like below them on a bench and just like jerking them off. And then they have to, like, at the last minute, put this, like, hose on to collect the semen. And yeah. that's sort of the skill of it. Yeah, you can tease them with the, the, you can tease them with the machine, though. Yeah, if you need to. That was cool. But like somebody said, if, you, if, if there wasn't a skill to the jerking off part, then they could just come in and use the machine themselves. Yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. You don't want to put yourself out of business. What did you think of them? I liked them. I thought they were cool. Yeah. I was into them. Have you ever seen like the breeding benches or anything like that, like for like a cattle farm? I have not. I think that might, if I did see that, that might skew me away from this. Okay. I won't show, I won't send you any videos. Why would you send me, why would you be, (laughs) wait, you, you've never seen it in real life. You only seen it in videos. Uh, have I seen it? Yeah, I have seen them in real life actually, but I'm sure there are videos. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't want any videos. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, um, it's yeah. It, it's so funny that it took us this long to talk about the actual milking, which is what this book is ostensibly about and is sold on. Right. But I think this is the case of a book that is the reason why I love reading romance. Because... Something can come out of the blue with a ridiculous premise and what seems like could be just kitsch mm-hmm. or just erotica, just mindless erotica. Not that there's not good erotica that has things on its mind, but there are some that are just mindless. And then this book has such a nuanced portrait of a person struggling and falling in love with somebody and it just is a shame that this book won't get the sort of mainstream interest that it that it should 
because of the fact that the premise is what it is. And now I know it's doing really well on Kindle. I've, 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 uh, uh, Annie has been sending us, well, at least she was, she was sending me the, uh, posts on Tumblr. The author is on Tumblr and how this is going up the charts. And, and I think the reason why this book is doing well is because people are getting attracted to the, oh my God factor of it. And then actually reading it and saying, oh, holy crap, this person is a good writer. And I want to see what this person's going to do next. And that I that is what I love because this would be a book otherwise that I would see maybe if I didn't do this podcast and be like, what is this smut? Like everybody else. But now that I do this podcast, I'm thinking, oh, I hope this is really good. I hope this is 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 a I hope this is a book that has more on its mind than just milking. And it does. Right. Well, I think this is the frustration, too. And like, I don't like to harp on like Fifty Shades of Grey. Some people really loved it. And that's great. But I think that's the thing when books like that end up getting super mainstream that frustrates people because it's like you're acting like that book is an outlier. You're acting like this is like kind of a joke where like there are books that are really well written and nuanced and thoughtful and sexy and weird um, that don't always get the recognition. And yeah, like you said, this one, I think it like last time I checked, it was like 24 for Kindle Unlimited, like overall, and like number one in romance and all these things. So like, it does seem like this book is hitting. Also, it hasn't even been out for like three full weeks yet. I know it's nuts. Um, yeah, so I hopefully it does get to be a certain level of it. But uh, yeah, I agree where it's like, this is a really well done just book. And like, it is, I wouldn't, and, and the thing is too, it's like you assume it's going to be like erotica. And like, listen, there's a lot of talking about penises and ejaculation, but we, neither of us are like super big fans of excessive fluids. And I thought I was going to be very turned off in this book by that. And I just kind of like, wasn't like, it was fine. The way that it was dealt with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's just was really well done. Well, somebody that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about is Rourke, who is the Minotaur. Oh, yes. So what did you think about him as a character? I liked Rourke. I thought Rourke was cool. He's a more mature guy. He's older than Violet, but he makes sure to ask her not how old she ac- actually is, but if she's still in school. Because... He didn't want, he felt kind of bad if he was very excited to be jerked off by a 19-year-old. <laughs> and so when she said she'd already graduated and all this, he got, he was more excited, which is great. Because that just shows that he's a guy who's not interested in just screwing around with some young uh, innocent girl. He he actually wants a a person who's had some sort of experience, which is good. Nothing against y- young people and their experiences, obviously, but they, you know, it's just like it's cool that he's not a guy who's like eighteen. I'm in, you know. I didn't even catch that when he asked her about school. I thought it was just like making conversation thing. But no, yeah. she she even mentions that that's why he did it. 
and that was very cool of him. Also, you know, the whole he he gives her the ability to to say what's what's too far, what's good. He's he's very much putting the 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 ball in her, her court sexually, which is great, especially because he has a giant rod that would uh-huh. be so terrifying to navigate as a as uh as anybody. So it's nice that he's you know, and then there's a point where <laughs> there's a scene where she's trying to put uh it in her mouth and she starts gagging and then he starts gagging. <laughs> and he says, don't gag because I'm going to gag. I thought that was so funny. I was laughing my ass off just thinking of him, you know, his gag reflex going. And uh, he just, yeah. And, and the thing about him, initially I was thinking, okay, so this guy has a lot of money because he gives her a crisp $100 bill as a tip. And he seems to, he he owns a farming machine company or some sort he's like a ceo of a farming machine company is mm-hmm. that correct yeah so he's got a lot of money but he's still getting milked and that was curious to me and I, he explains it as you know we all do it all minotaurs do it if a minotaur comes up to you and tries to hit on you and says he doesn't get milked he's lying and I guess it's just one of those things where the money is just so easy and good that why not do it? Right. But right, there's... I was thinking that too about the hundred dollars thing because I was like, well, how much are they getting paid if he can tip a hundred? Pretty well, he said. I mean, he said that this this one is Morning Glory is especially good, and they treat you well. There's been other milking places. In fact, there's a milking place right where she lives, right near where she lives, that she doesn't even know about. So there seems to be more above board places and more kind of sketchy places like they all uh, the it all gets to it gets made into dick pills but it's just the level of the facility that these companies use so this is one of the higher class ones but i still am a little bit on the fence as to why somebody in his position would do this but i don't know it's not so much that i am taken out by it well, and also it's like, yeah, if they're paid like two or three hundred bucks per thing. And it's also like we don't know that he's tipping everybody a hundred dollars. You know what I mean? It could just be like he really likes Violet. So he's like, well, let's give her a lot. So well, she remembers me. There's there's the clock watchers, which is him who are saying, oh, OK, I'm just going to do this on my lunch break. And then there's the earners who are the guys who come in, do it fast, do it often. That's how they make a lot of their money. And then there's the good little cows, right? Mm-hmm. That really get off on the milkmaid thing. It, it, in fact, there's outfits that you can wear as the person jerking off the minotaur. And they sometimes request that you wear the milkmaid outfit. Or something equivalent to it. So there, there. That's an interesting wrinkle too, because it is. This is on the edge of. It is. It is like sex work, but also, uh, like mechanical work. It's weird. It is like on in this weird gray zone, because there is fetish involved. Sometimes they don't. They don't promote it, but it's just inevitable, I guess. And I guess that's anywhere, right? Like if you're gonna give 
semen somewhere. There are guys who are into just the act of giving semen. Right. I think that anything is a fetish also. That's true. Yeah. But, yeah, so Rourke, I mean, he just seems like a stand-up dude. He seems hot, got a huge fucking rod, and he's showing her how to kind of take care of herself a little bit. Not take care of herself as in she can't wash properly, as in here's a good place to get fancy coffee. Because she goes and gets a fancy coffee at another place, and it tastes worse than the shitty gas station coffee she was drinking. So he helps her find places that are, oh, here's where you're going to really, this cup of coffee will be worth the extra expense. What was your thoughts on him? I loved work too. Well, it's interesting also because this is another thing that I normally really don't like in books. But for some reason with, with this book, it was totally fine. And I liked it. It's like we're only ever in Violet's point of view. Like we never see Violet from Rourke's point of view. We don't ever get any inner workings of his mind other than sort of what he says to her, which I think definitely worked for this book. And I liked, but then you you sort of fall in, you feel the feelings that Violet is feeling. So it's like, it is interesting because, you know, she, Rourke isn't her like first client of the day on her first day. Like, you know, she's done this a few times and it isn't, doesn't feel sexual until, Work comes in and like you get why she reacts to him the way she does that he that she does um and you have this little falling in love with him sort of like as she does like there's a scene where she's going to the fancy coffee shop um that he suggests and she like gets nervous because she doesn't I don't know she's not used to being like so Cambric Creek where they are is like a multi-species town and it seems like some cities are just humans and so she hasn't spent as much time around like the multiple species. And so she orders something and then you just hear his like deep voice behind her just saying like, I'll get, I'll take care of whatever she's got. And then I also want this. And there's like something that was so sexy about just like that little bit. Yeah. His velvety um, deep voice. Yeah. And just being like, let me take care of her. And then also I'll get this or that in a way that like it never felt creepy. And like, I've worked in bars and restaurants and stuff and like definitely like guys don't understand whether it's me or it's like other women that work there like how to hit on or ask out a waitress or or just somebody that's like in the service industry when you meet them while they're at work and a lot of guys really messed it up in ways where I'm like you're making this creepy now like if you were just normal or just did things a little bit differently, like this might have worked out. Um, And so Rourke is always able to thread that needle of still coming in, still seeing her, making him know that like, making her know that he is enjoying himself, that he likes talking to her, bringing up things that they spoke about the last time they were there, or him like asking follow-up questions in a way that isn't like creepy or like, oh, this guy's paying too much attention to me in a way that I really liked. And Listen, when there finally were sex scenes, like he's a very good dirty talker. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he's really, and those are all like really amazing too. So I like a big Rourke fan. I loved it. And it's um, earned. That dirty talk is mm-hmm. earned because we see what kind of guy he really is and right. how respectful he is. So when he gets really filthy, you think, oh, Rourke, I didn't know he had it in him. 
That's the thing. That's the one I think dirty talk works too when it's somebody who's normally like buttoned up or a little bit more reserved or very into like social cues and manners and stuff and is then the one who's like, I'm flipping a switch. That's when it's at its hottest, I think. The other thing I really loved about Rourke is he pays for their dinner and she wants to do the, oh, I'll pay half. And he says, listen, I'm not... This is about me being at a different station in my career than you are. I can afford it. I don't have anybody to pamper, and I want to pamper you. So I'm going to do it. And it's not taking away her, because she even thinks in her head, I'm a bad feminist if I let him pay. And he's like, it's not about that. It's about, I have this extra income. You're building a career. We're in different places in our careers. She will be at a at a different place in her career later on where she can start either paying the whole bill or doing things like that. But right now, he knows where she's at and where he's at, and it would make him feel good to do this. And I think that's a real good sidestepping of the whole, well, how do I let this guy pay for me if I'm if I'm if I'm taking care of myself? I like that. At least I thought that was really cool that he is saying, I'm not trying to take anything away from you. I just really want to pamper you and please let me do this. Right. Well, I do think that is so interesting, too, because it's like it is true. And I think sometimes people go into these things like, well, it's fair if we split it evenly. But it's like if you're making $200,000 a year and I'm making $40,000 a year and we're splitting a $100 meal, that $50 means something different to you than it means to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and this idea of like, it's, you're a bad feminist if you let men pay for you. No, men have had enough and taken enough from all of us. Uh, you know, it's it's a small drop in the bucket if they buy you dinner. Yeah, and and, and I think the the larger thing is just like, it, he's he wanted to do something nice, and mm-hmm. sometimes you're allowed to let someone do something nice for you without yes. without adding any like other layers on it. I mean, you can if you want. If that's the way you want to live your life, go for it. But like sometimes someone just wants to do something nice and just let them. Right. Now, we didn't talk at all about her vampire friend. Oh, yeah. And uh, what was her name? L- L'Oreal? No, Laurel was um, Rourke's neighbor. Oh, yeah. What was her vampire friend name? Oh, no, I didn't write it down. Let me check. Well, she has a vampire friend. I don't think it's that important other than she, this woman grabs her as a cover because somebody from her work sees her at the coffee shop and she wants Mm -hmm. to pretend that she's with somebody. And basically what we find out is that Blood is, uh, humans are also donating blood to vampires in this Mm -hmm. world, which I understand, like, introducing her as a friend for Violet is cool because Violet didn't really have any friends, so I like that she has a female friend. Mm -hmm. And I think this is setting up maybe the next book, possibly, or a book in the future about her finding love at her, her blood farm. I will say, did this is the one moment where the world building felt glaringly, I'm setting this up? Because she's adding this blood farming to the milking that we already, we already are focused on milking and now there's the blood thing. It wasn't too much. It didn't like bump me. 
but mm-hmm. I wasn't as interested in that as in the central milking. And and yeah. the just introduction of Mothman and things. I'm I want the Mothman book. Right. I because, am done with vampires. I don't care. Yeah. I want the Mothman book. Oh, I love also the the other thing uh, that is brought up by her vampire friend is that there are women who go creature, go monster, and never go back. Because mm-hmm. lizard men have two dicks. And once <laughs> you get two dicks, one dick's never going to be enough. And then there's women who have sex with were-men or werewolves as they're turning or right after they're turning. And that's huge. Now, that's what I like about these books, though, is that I I want to I want to see a woman have sex with a werewolf. I don't want to see a woman have sex with a guy who can turn into a wolf. Right. Like, that's why I don't like shifters because it's like, oh, this guy was a wolf and you're fucking him. Who cares? I want to see him as a werewolf because otherwise it doesn't matter to me that this guy at some point can turn into a wolf, but you're just fucking a man. Right. To me, I have no interest in that. But I was thinking, oh, cool, a werewolf having sex with a woman. I want to read that. Just like a minotaur having sex with a woman. I want to read that. And a mothman having sex with a woman. However that's going to work. I want to read that. Totally. Because the mothman yeah, seems so cute. What? The mothmen seem cute. The way she, she talks about them is that they seem cute or like interesting looking. Like mm-hmm. she had a mothman who lived above her at one point. And she said he was so unique looking that she was attracted to him. Yeah. It's like, I really want to know what's up with these mothmen. <laughs> or that's, yeah, Rourke's neighbor, Laurel, L'Oreal, is a um, elf. elf and she's dating an orc. And <laughs> and Violet even goes out of her way to be like, uh, like a really hot orc, not like some other orcs that aren't quite as hot. Yeah. And she's tiny and he's big. And she's like, how does that work sexually? And Laurel is just like, oh, I'm, elves are very stretchy. And it's like, oh, geez, it's okay. Yeah. It, it just it, does work, yeah. It's funny because I am less interested in the things that I've seen more, like elves, vampires. I guess werewolves mm-hmm. are done a lot, but I don't think werewolves have, have ever been done well, really. Mm-hmm. And, but the other unique creatures I'm very excited to read about. And obviously feels like there's this is going to be a series we know it's going to be a series because at the end of this book the author says that violet and rourke will be back and i'm assuming that there are going to be just characters in this 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 city that that she's the the author has created and that's really interesting to me so yeah i'm down if this is ends up being like a new species thing where we just kind of like read every other book as it comes out like well, I mean, I'm definitely, I think, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we'll definitely read the next one for sure. Totally. A hundred percent. Now, here's the uh, important question. I think this question is very important. And I think our fans are are waiting for this. Would you milk them? <laughs> would, I be a, would I be a milker? Oh, wait, we also need to talk about how there's, like, tears for how much milk you give, and then they give out, like, crappy little gifts. <laughs> yes. Where he gets, He's like, got a shirt. magnets. <laughs> He's got a shirt that says, uh, what does it say? Oh, God, I wish I would have written it down. Like It's, like, Master Milker or something like that. 
that it's, shit is that he hilarious. wears while he's uh, while he's mowing the lawn. Oh my god, that was so great. And those are the t- those are the touches. Those are the touches that this author has. That it's like, of course, this company would give out shitty hats and <laughs> beer koozies and shirts. Of course they would. Why wouldn't they? Every fucking company does stupid shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so awesome. But no, would you... Another way of asking, would you fuck them? Yes. I mean, obviously, of course. Yeah. What about you? Both of them. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, come on. We're not too good for anything. You gotta. If you have the opportunity to fuck a minotaur, you fuck a minotaur. You gotta. And also, depending, uh, you know, depending on the money, I would milk. I'm just you would one hundred. You would be a. You would. You would be on both sides of that. I feel like. Of course. On both sides. Like if you were a minotaur, you would go get milked. Well, all minotaurs do it, so of course. But yeah, right. It's such easy money. It seems like it doesn't take a ton of time. Like, listen, yeah, go collect your. 100 bucks or a couple hundred dollars and she we didn't mention that violet's one of the only humans that is doing this service so she is she is sort of a novelty but then she does train another human who seems like an asshole and so perfectly that person that you have to train at your job and you know they're not going to last more than a few months oh yeah because they're just bored and don't want to do a good job or think that they can just be lazy. And hopefully you work at a company where they last only a few months or less. Sometimes that person stays there way longer than they should. But yeah. that was so that was so on the nose. I've trained so many people who I just knew you are so lazy and you just don't care. And I know this job is easy, but it doesn't matter. You're still going to bomb out. Oh, yeah. Stiff grip Sally is what Rourke calls her because Violet like leaves for two weeks because her great aunt passes away. And then Rourke shows up and it's stiff grip Sally instead. (laughs) And he's like, I go, she was chafing me. It was a mess. Yeah. I loved that. Well, Um, is this I'm assuming this isn't on any Goodreads list yet. No, it's not on any. I mean, I have a feeling we come back in a few months and it's on a ton. But at the moment, no, it's not on any that I could find. Wow. But it'll be on a bunch. I'm so certain. Yeah, I think it's also it's like it's crazy that this book, for as much as like people are talking about it and stuff, has not been out for much long. And also, it doesn't seem like this is a book that like people were talking about before it came out. You know? It kind of came out of nowhere, which is great. And that's one of the benefits i think of social media there's so many downsides to it but the benefits of social media is that something like this can get out and get out so fast uh yeah exactly and it seems like and also this is a very quick read as well like i think a lot of people have been saying they read it in like a night like i think it took me a few days but that's just because i have a ton going on i this is definitely a very quick super fun read and it's on kiddo unlimited so if you do have kind unlimited it's like it would 100 percent worth the download even if Absolutely. you think even if after us gushing about it for over an hour you're still on the fence like try it out i think it's you'll enjoy it it's something different to read it's really interesting she touches on a lot of like really big topics in a way that feel organic where she talks about like even like gentrification of like Cambridge Creek about like how expensive housing is. Yeah. That's is something that. Yeah. That's the big thing. Don't 
we talked about these themes because they were mm-hmm. underlying. Right. I, I would say don't go into this thinking it's going to be some sort of tisk 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 like th- this is bad and you know like it is but they're not putting it in your face it's definitely threaded through and gives mm-hmm. this a fuller view of how it really is to live in a city and live in different places that I think is refreshing and not ham-fisted, punch you in the face with it. No, right, exactly. I think the reason we are ending up talking about it so much too is just because it's done so well. Yeah, Um, And it's just interesting and it just like adds to add to the richness of it where it's like, oh, they're having these like actual conversations that it's like, yeah, you would end up talking about this if you lived in this world. Mm -hmm. So I, again, love this book. It was a joy. You know, I think what everyone is saying is like you go and think it's going to be weird. And listen, it's weird, guys. We're not going to. It's it's a weird book, but it's really, really well done and so fun. Such a great read and super sexy and kind of like everything you want in a romance. Um, all right, Clayton, do you have tropes? Yes. Obviously, milking. Minotaur. Because he's a minotaur. Interspecies romance. World building, succinct world building, employee client romance, I guess, slow burn, because this is slow, monster romance, and a return of one of my faves, precom. Aaron, what were your tropes? So I had interspecies romance, a slow burn, workplace romance, Monster romance, minotaur hero, unique penis, which I guess the penis itself isn't unique other than the size. Um, and the dirty talk. Dirty talk, yeah. Great dirty talk. Yeah. This was like Tessa Bailey-esque. Like, this is very good. Um, all right, Clayton, what has you swooning this week? So, I, you know me. I don't usually watch TV shows. But A Different World just got added to HBO Max. Uh-huh, really? Oh, I love that show. Yeah. And, okay, so when I was a kid, I was in love with Lisa Bonet. I thought yes. she was the coolest person on the planet because she spoke with that kind of raspy voice. She dressed so different and cool and as a young kid, I was in love with her. So when they made a spinoff with her, I was very excited for it. And so I, I remember watching it. But I, I watched A Different World for all of its seasons. And, I, and, and Lisa Bonet left after the first season. So right now I'm watching the first season, which is not as good as the seasons after it. Because the seasons after it, they really focus on kind of the experience of those students in an all-black college. And this one is more about Lisa Bonet and her her issues and then um, Marissa Tomei's in the first season, which I f- totally forgot about. But she's great in it. Well, and obviously, this is a romance podcast and we can't talk about a different world without talking about Dwayne and Whitley. Well, because right? initially, it was... Dwayne was... Uh, was after Lisa Bonet's character. And who would it be? He's listen, he's made of flesh and bone. He you know Yes. Can't help himself. But then yeah, that that romance between the two of them that 
that blossomed over the next few seasons, which I'm very excited to 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 watch is yeah it is a it is a romance it's they they do end up having a happily ever after not to ruin things for everybody but yes that is a central romance yeah that's a great show i remember watching that it was like cuz it i must have been like a little bit too young for it cuz i remember watching it like during the summer they would play like three episodes in a row in the morning during the mm. week and that was um, how i got all oh, of my different world. So you watched it in a syndication. I watched it yeah. when it was on at night. Mm, it was wow. prime time, baby. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. so different world. It's uh, it's also, I guess, on Amazon Prime, which I didn't know, but it is on HBO Max, which to me is the best streamer by far. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just even if you just pop in, watch one episode or two. That's kind of what I do. I'll I'll while I eat, I'll watch like an episode of a different world and it's so comforting and and nice so that's my swoon it's a great swoon Aaron, what are you swooning about so i'm swooning about something about a product and so this is getting this is going to get weirdly personal but also this felt very apt for this week and reading this book because i got i'm going on vacation next week guys we're going to tell you later we're taking a two week break after this episode but Um, so I needed to get waxed and I like always dread it and it's super painful and awful. I do sugaring it, but it's the same. And, um, so I I was was a candy store sugaring. Yeah. Sugaring. It's, um, it's this like mixture they make of like sugar and melting and stuff. And it's actually like, you can eat it. It's edible. And it's something that I think is, is from, like Middle Eastern cultures, my friend who's Palestinian, she says that like she grew up and like her aunts and everything would do sugaring. Well, there's a there's a place called Sugaring near Strand. It's on I God I can't remember, but it's a store that's it's called Sugaring, and I always assumed that it was just a candy store, and I never even looked into it. But I think it it might be a waxing place. Well, there's it's sugar, and that's I think a candy store. But no. Sugaring NYC is is waxing ladies' bits. Okay, I didn't. I walked by sugaring, and I was like, "Oh, it's some sort of sweet shop." No, no, yeah. you can eat it though, but no. Um, and so I found five percent lidocaine, and it comes in this little jar. And I don't think it matters what company you get it from. Um, and you put it on wherever you're getting waxed like 45 minutes before and then you do another layer like 15 minutes before you leave the house then you wipe it all off and it is a game changer now still the hair is being pulled off of a very sensitive area and so you will be in pain and I don't want to pretend like that's going away but basically it's like from the pain being a 10 to being like a 2-3 so significantly worsens it and like listen it's 2021. Nobody needs to get waxed. It's 100% a personal choice. But I'm saying if you do decide to get waxed, I would say don't do it without at least trying out the 5% lidocaine. Um, obviously, make sure that it's okay for you, like if you have any sensitivities or anything like that. But it really helped so much. And I've been wa- getting waxed for so many years. And I can't believe that I had been doing it this long without 
work without uh, having this numbing cream because it truly changes the game. I don't know who else in my life actually does get waxed. <laughs> so I didn't know who to tell. And I was like, I got to tell the troopers. They're, they need to know this important information. So um, if you do choose to wax, don't wax without it. If you don't choose to wax, more power to you. There we go. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I'll do it. Listen, men get waxed. I was talking to my waxer and like, yeah, men come in. Yeah, I'm sure they do. So, yeah, that's my swoon for the week is just a less painful waxing experience. Great. Well, Aaron, so where can they find us? So you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. We have our Facebook group, The Learning the Tropes Troop, which I'm sure we will be discussing this book at length once this episode goes live. Uh, and we have merch linked below. And also, if you guys could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, it's how people find us. You guys are actually amazing at, at writing us reviews, and we so appreciate it. Um, and like I said before, so we are taking a late summer break. We're going to take two weeks off from the pod, but don't worry. We will be back, um, with a new episode for you on September 8th. Um, letting you know, we'll probably do a recap of the past two weeks if anything big has happened. Uh, and then we'll let you know what we're reading and then our next book episode, which will be September 15th. Yeah. Um, so we'll miss you guys, but you can definitely keep in touch with us. Like I said, through Instagram and Twitter and the Facebook group and email us and all those good things. Um, and check out our TikTok that Annie does. And our TikTok. Oh, I almost forgot. Yes. And Annie runs our TikTok. Um, she's amazing and we love her so much. And so if you are on TikTok, make sure to give us a follow over there as well. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, happy reading. Happy reading. Mm -hmm.